Well, like Drew said, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Um, if you're not getting uh, the greenhouse updates that I send out on text and you actually want them, let me know and I can add you to the text group. Uh, and uh, if you get too many, just tell me and I'll leave you alone. So there you go. Awesome. Well, hey, um, I have some ingredients here. Actually, I'll grab... Bass players don't use their music stand anyhow. So, just kidding. Sorry, Tony. Um, all right. I would ask Samantha if she would want to taste this, but she still remembers my whole brownie um, example. Remember that? Yeah, remember that one? Where I said there may or may not be some of Roscoe's handiwork in that brownie. Remember that one? So, there you go. Well, hey, anybody want to eat some raw flour? Anybody? Anybody want that? Probably not. Um, how about some baking soda? Anybody want that? Not so much. Probably not. That, I don't even know what that would taste like. That would be kind of interesting. Or some, let's see, is that sugar or is that salt? I don't know. I think that one, yeah, that would be, I think that's sugar. Anybody want some sugar? That would taste good, right? But how much of it, how long would you start eating that before all of a sudden it'd be like, ugh, gross, right? That doesn't taste very good. Yeah, probably not a terribly long time. Um, how about some brown sugar? That's really good too. But again, yeah, delicious. Except if you would start eating like spoonfuls of it, all of a sudden it wouldn't start tasting so good anymore. Um, let's see. Oh, here's the salt. The other one is salt. This is, this other one is sugar. This is salt. Anybody want a little bit of salt? Probably, probably a little bit is okay, but too much of it isn't, isn't so great. Um, or we got an egg and some butter. Anybody ever eat just a stick of butter before? I mean, seriously, has anybody ever eaten just that? <laughs> Says the guy that had a heart attack at 44. Jeez. Too soon. Too soon. It was a year ago. He's fine. <laughs> He's raised by wolves in Montana. So there you go. So, there you go. How, how, there you go. Got some Homer Simpson vibes going on there. So, or a raw egg. Anybody, anybody, has anybody ever eaten a raw egg? Did you enjoy it? Tastes like <laughs> Okay, you just indemnified yourself in two things there. <laughs> I mean, or so a friend told me, so there you go. Again, you probably wouldn't want to be like Rocky Balboa and like down a whole cup of them, right? Probably that'd be kind of a little bit gross. Um, or let's see, what else? Chocolate chips? That'd be good. That'd be good. Um, but again, have you ever eaten so many that, that you, it didn't taste good? Or vanilla. Has anybody ever tasted raw vanilla before? It's not good. <laughs> Vanilla on its own does not taste good. Um, but let's say if each one of these things, if we would uh, crack the egg, if we would stir up the butter and we would put all the other ingredients in together and we would break it and we would mix it and we would stir it up aggressively, what would we have? Cookie dough, which is delicious, right? Cookie dough is delicious. And that would all of a sudden start to like taste good. But let me tell you about my oldest brother, Lonnie. Lonnie, to this day, cannot eat chocolate chip cookies. Do you know why? 
Because when we were kids, my mom had made a fresh batch of cookie dough, and he, being the oldest, most adventurous kid, decided to sneak in in between, uh, in between uh, loading in the oven, and he, downhole, he, da- he downed a couple handfuls of cookie dough. You know what he did a few minutes later? Ran immediately to the bathroom and threw it all up in the toilet. To this day, he cannot get over that taste or that, that experience of throwing up all the raw cookie dough. What do we want to do if we're going to take that cookie dough and make it to where it's like really, really good? What are we going to do? Burn it. We're going to stick it in the oven with 375 degrees. Has anybody ever been in 375 degrees before? Probably not, right? Some of you who maybe served overseas in the, in, the, in the Iraq or whatever, it was probably felt like 375 degrees, right? But, um, but no, you can, you can cook it, and all of a sudden, voila, this beauty comes out, right? It's awesome. It's so good. Now, all of a sudden, it all comes together, but the process took a little bit, and it's not always fun. You see, sometimes breaking the eggs. I haven't quite figured out how to do it without getting it all over my hands, right? When I'm mixing it in the mixer yesterday, we, Nicole has this really nice kitchen, made, uh, kitchen, kitchen, kitchen aid mixer. Um, I can't, my, my, my mixes are all worded up this morning. So, um, but yeah, all of a sudden it's like, and like a big clump of dough, you know, big clump of dough or, or flour or whatever all comes popping out. And, and it can be messy, right? It's not always totally enjoyable. But the end result is, is pretty good. It's pretty good, all right? So making cookies has a little bit to teach us about Advent. You're probably seeing where I might be going with this, but uh, making cookies is a lot like joy. Who doesn't want to be happy, Right? I've never met, well, I've met a few people that just don't want to be happy, and they're just not fun to be around, right? <laughs> like, but most people, they want to be happy. We turn and rely on all sorts of different things that want to make us happy, right? Christmas season is the epicenter of the pursuit of happiness. Um, I mean, we, we buy things, we have parties, we have food, we have family and friends over, we, we do all sorts of things, gifts, toys, food, relationships, experiences, all the feels, right? Like the other day I came home from working and Nicole, it was, I came home pretty late and Nicole, I'm going to throw you under the bus, babe, but, but Nicole was, was watching a Christmas movie. And the whole time I'm like picking it apart because it was so incredibly cheesy, and she just looks at me. She gives me the side eye, kind of like, you know, why don't you go back to work? Like, just <laughs> leave me alone. You're making that. I was like, how does it even get worse? You know? <laughs> but then after I, 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 I sat down and I started watching it, and I was like, this is so bad. It's actually good. It's, it's pretty funny. And this one was really kind of ironic because, because it was all about this, this Christmas pageant, and they had all the Jesus stuff without Jesus. And guess who took the center stage? Santa. So it was like the complete movie, Christmas movie, right? It was, it was, it was glorious. But it was so funny at how like everything was geared towards happiness and everything like that, right? But inevitably, those things are temporary at most. Toys will break, right? Clothes don't fit or they go out of fashion. People let us down. Decorations go back in the box and back into storage. Well, Advent calls us to something deeper than temporary happiness. 
It calls us to a real deep and lasting joy. This morning, we're going to look at three things that Advent teaches us about joy. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. And the first thing that we're going to see is that joy comes from something or someone. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. The night, that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring you great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Well, it's easy to read this first part at kind of a superficial, superficial kind of like, like 30,000 foot view. Like, oh yeah, an angel appeared to the shepherds and he's like, don't be afraid. They're like, okay, the angel is, okay. Angels would scare me, especially if it's an angel from Revelation. You guys ever seen the memes that, where it's so like these rotating rings of eyeballs and these, all these flower, uh, fluffy, feathery wings going out everywhere? It's one of my favorite memes. I should just take a picture of it because this, this, this Revelation angel with all the spinning eyeballs on the wheels and everything like that is like sitting there like, don't be afraid. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, I don't know exactly what these angels look like, um, but I think if an angel would actually appear to me in person, I'd be a little bit afraid. And so it's kind of funny, but also very fitting that in the midst of the fear, the angel says, don't be afraid. Find joy. Joy is greater than fear. Now, the Bible talks about all sorts of things that, that we can derive joy from, right? Um, Psalm 65, verses one and, uh, sorry, 11 and 12 talks about how an abundant harvest can bring joy. Psalm 104, 15 says that wine can make the heart joyful. Jeremiah 33, uh, 10 and 11 says that when the people are restored back to their land, it is a joyful experience. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25 uh, talks about how when our kids are following the Lord, it brings parents joy, right? All these things make us glad and help us to rejoice. But even these things are simply the byproducts. They're simply the fruit of what really brings us joy, the angel in Luke chapter 2 says that he brings news that will really bring them true joy. The Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, this tiny little baby in a feed trough. So joy comes from something or someone, and obviously it's Jesus. It's the baby Messiah, Jesus. Number two, we're supposed to seek joy in what gives joy. Continue in verse 12 says this, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Please don't skip over this because this is epic. If one angel is scary, can you imagine the heavenly armies? Like I've, I've heard so many stories of where, where like people have actually seen angelic 
warriors surrounding my, my friend and my neighbor. I think I've told the story before about how he was going. He grew up in Nigeria, and he was going down in the, at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he was ringing the bell, uh, called a prayer, and some of the, the other guys in his town did not like that. And they, they came at him. They were coming at him with baseball bats and machetes, and we're going to put an end to this racket once and for all. And all of a sudden, they just dropped everything, and they ran away. And he just, I said, Hope, were you afraid? And he goes, No, nah, I knew I wasn't alone. So he goes and he rings the bell. He, he goes spend some time in prayer. Then later on that day, someone came to him and said, Who were those guys with you? And they're like, Oh, what do they look like? They were like, Well, they were all like glowing in white robes. Hope doesn't lie. <laughs> Like, this, this stuff happens. We don't see it, but there are angelic forces around us. There are, set your eyes not on what is seen, but what's unseen. For what's seen is temporary, what's unseen is eternal. There is a spiritual realm that is much more eternal and real than, than, than any of this, right? And, and they have this glimpse into the spiritual realm where there's this entire army of angels from heaven. And what are they doing? They were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the, and, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Okay, so let's, let's be honest. These shepherds, they're working in the middle of their workday. They were very important. Most likely, they were located where they were at. They were probably raising and, and shepherding the, the sacrificial, sacrificial sheep that were going to be offered as sacrifices in the temple. Okay? So they were kind of, they were shepherds, but they were entrusted with a very prestigious flock of sheep. And so they could have said, hey, I'm busy, I'm at work, don't bother me, you know, and, and how are they going to trust this random angel that comes and talks to them, right? But they had, they had been hearing about this Messiah their entire life. And, and for generations before they ever were born, they had heard the prophecies about the Messiah. Oh, yeah, the Messiah was going to come this. The Messiah was going to come. The Messiah, but the Messiah hadn't come. And so if that's a, 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 a legend that you've been hearing your entire life, and it's kind of like it's easy to just think it's a fairy tale, right? And it's sort of like, eh, do we really believe this? I don't know. I don't know if we can believe this. Because for generations, we've been waiting and nothing yet. On top of that, there was countless fraud and fake messiahs. You see, Israel had been occupied by the Roman Empire for, for a few generations. And people were coming and saying, follow me and I'm going to set us free. I am the promised messiah. And so there was revolt after revolt after revolt. And so they were kind of like, hey, do we trust this guy or not? Right? It's hard sometimes to not get disillusioned, to give up hope, to give up faith, just to give up. What's interesting is that the Bible is full of examples of seeking joy while waiting. Remember, Advent means waiting, preparing, anticipating the coming of the Messiah, right? And the Bible is full of examples of what it means to find joy in the waiting process. Psalm chapter 105, verses 40, uh, verse 43, and Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, uh, talks about how Israel, 
they, they sought joy on the way out of captivity and exile. They were stuck in slavery for generations, and when they were being delivered, they were, they were experiencing true joy. If you've ever been like held captive of something or someone or, or, or whatever it might be, and you're set free, that is a joyful experience, right? In fact, those verses say that sorrow and sadness actually flees in the face of that deliverance from God. Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, to be joyful in the middle of persecution. What did he mean by that? Well, later on in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 52, Jesus' followers proved what he was talking about because they were being persecuting. They were being chased. They were being harassed. They were being imprisoned. They were being slaughtered. And what did they experience in the midst of that? Paranoia, conspiracy theories, fear, anger, turning on each other, us versus them. No, they experienced joy. They lived out what Jesus had said. As they were being persecuted, they lived out joy. The Apostle Paul told his followers in Philippians 1, uh, 25, he says, I want to die. He's waiting in prison for his own execution, and he's kind of like, the end is near. I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to finally see our Creator, and I'm going to see the one that I've been worshiping and serving and loving and praying to and studying all my life, and, and, and I want to I go meet him, but at the same time, like, I want to continue to see you grow because I find joy in watching you grow. Paul is, is stuck in this, in this middle of, I want to go see the fullness of my joy, but I also see the joy of what Jesus is doing here on the earth. He turned around and then he challenged his, um, uh, the Jesus followers in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, 3 through 10, to seek joy as they faced. And this is a great list. Uh, I think I have it listed in there. Um, you can read this later. But he says, seek joy as you face troubles, hardships, distress, beatings, prisons, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, disgrace, false accusations, obscurity, feeling insignificant, sorrow, poverty, and even death. That's quite a list. But he says, in the midst of all these things, pursue joy. I think one out of that list would be enough to make us crumble in cave, right? But yet Paul says, find joy in it. How? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit of God. Paul spells it out even more in Romans chapter 5. Uh, verses 3 through 5, he says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Now, this word uh, problems and trials literally means to break, to press, to squeeze. Think of grapes. Grapes are really great, but when you squeeze them, all the juice goes out and you get grape juice that then they'll turn into wine. And remember uh, Psalm uh, 104.15 says that wine brings joy to the heart, right? Not too much, because then there's verses about that too, so don't get carried away with that, right? But the whole idea is just like we get juice from the squeezing of grapes, or we get this valuable oil when we squeeze the olives. To get the good stuff, we have to go through the squeezing process first. We have to be able to be pressed. He says, for we know that they help us develop endurance. That word endurance means steadfast, constant. 
It says when we are pressed, when we are squeezed, it, it, if any metal workers, right, when you, when you burn off the, the yuckiness, you take that off and you're left with something pure, right? When we get rid of all the fluff, we are left being found steadfast and constant. Verse 4, and endurance develops strength of character. What's interesting is that character means proof. Proof of something, evidence of something. Like we've been tested, we've been refined, and now we are found to have value. And character strengthens our confident hope. And that hope means like expectancy, right? Our hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Jesus' half-brother James says this very similar thing in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind... What's interesting is, is he doesn't use the word that means squeezing and pressing, but he uses the word of being tested. It's like an experiment of like, let's try this and see what comes out the other end. Kind of interesting at how they kind of use two different words that have a very same conclusion to it, right? When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, steadfast constancy, has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The word for that literally means mature, whole, having integrity, being made perfect. So this process that we go through actually refines us and and transforms us through the end. According to James, suffering is a two-for-one deal. You experience suffering and you get two good things out of it. Paul steps it up. He says suffering is a three-for-one deal. You suffer and then you're developed and look what happens, right? Like my, my youth pastor would always say that. Ah, suffering and trials is a, is a, is a three-for-one deal. You get a little bit of suffering and look what comes out the other end. This is a guy who is a paraplegic diabetic who, who should have hated his life, but he was one of the most joyful people I've ever met in my life. He's like, eh, a little bit of suffering, but look what it does, right? And he's a proof of that. He had the character. He had the integrity. So where am I going with all this? This is kind of a weird, weird direction to talk about on the Joy Sunday of Advent, right? Yes, we can find joy in all sorts of things. We can try to find it. But there's only, these things are only the fruit, the byproduct, the result of what really brings us joy. We find joy from God the Father, Son, and Spirit. So what are we focusing on? What are we focusing on? I like uh, a couple days ago in the devotional we're going through, the Advent devotional, it talked about the word scopio. Scopio, which means to intentionally focus on, to, to inspect deeply, right? Like, what are we setting our focus, our intent gaze upon, right? Now, the, the shepherds could have focused on, you know, the freaky experience of having an angel appear to them, right? They could have been like, oh, this is insane. I'm, I can't go on anymore, right? They could, have, they could have focused on that. They could have focused on, well, I have work to do, so please don't interrupt my, my work day, things like that, right? They were very important, had very important things to do, so God shouldn't interrupt their plans, right? But instead, 
they listen to what that great news of great joy, good news of great joy is going to be. And so they go look for that source of joy and they find Jesus. Now, that might not be a very enjoyable experience all the time, right? Nobody likes to be pressed. Nobody likes to be squeezed. Nobody likes to be tested or experimented on, right? But are we trusting God during that breaking, that pressing, that squeezing, that testing process? Are we relying on him? Are we setting our eyes on, okay, God, what are you doing that is going to develop my endurance, that's going to reveal the proof of who you are in my life, right? It's like working out. Like, a lot of us don't want to work out because we know it's going to hurt when you do it, and then it's going to hurt 10 times worse two days later, right? Because your muscles are being broken down. That's what happens is your muscles are broken down when you're running, you know, your, your heart and your lungs, it gets broken down, it gets stretched, and it, it's tested. But then on the other side, it's much better, Right? Do we allow Jesus to walk us through the process of bringing us true joy? Are we stuck settling for imitation happiness? So then the third thing is this. Joy moves us to action. Verse 17 through 20 says this, After seeking him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. The shepherds could not shut up. <laughs> like they, they it didn't care who you were, where they were at, they were going to talk about this baby Jesus that they had seen right? Because their minds were blown, their lives were changed. And again, I think that there's something beautiful about the fact that they had been raising the sacrificial lambs for, to, to make us right with God, and now they saw the sacrificial lamb, the one sacrifice once and for all, the one that would hang on the cross and say, it is finished. I've done this for you. Now receive this gift. You get to walk in freedom because I've paid the price. You're free you're free. I love how joy stirs something inside of us that is unstoppable. It becomes this, this motivation that kind of feeds. It's sort of like once we start looking at joy and we start experiencing joy, next thing you know, all of a sudden we see our world differently. And instead of like, well, this is happening, this is happening, this is, look, look at what God's going to do through this. Oh, wait, you wait and see what God's going to do through this, right? Like our perspectives are changed, our filters are changed, and, and it's a feeding motivation. And not only feeds us, joy is so contagious, it feeds those around us. If you have friends that are actually like truly joyful, those are friends you want to spend a lot of time with, right? Because instead of leaving, hanging out with them and just saying, ugh, you know, like, like that was brutal, you, you come away feeling closer to God. You feel away, you, you come away feeling like knowing that God is in control and we see things differently. This comes from seeing the glory of God through the person of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here's the big idea this morning. Jesus' glory gives us joy. Some questions. What or who are we trying to find joy in? 
Sometimes I, I get very heartbroken because a lot of issues that I see in relationships and marriages and parenting and coworkers that we use each other to make us happy. It's been a while since I've talked about this, but there's a great book downstairs called Family Where, Families Where Grace is in Place. Go get it. If we're out, let me know. We'll order some more. But it basically talks about how when God's grace is at the center of our lives, we are full and we bless those around us. When we're empty and we are looking to our spouse, to our friend, to our kids, to our job, to our hobbies, whatever it might be, our appearance, our, our success, our money, or whatever it might be, when we're looking to those things to make us look and feel full, guess what? They're not Jesus. They were never meant to fill us from the inside. Our families are great. I love my wife. I love my kids. My oldest came home from college last night, and I was so excited to see him, and I can't wait for the other two to come home too, and it's just going to feel so good. They are not my hope. I, I experience joy from them, but I don't rely on them to give me the joy that only Jesus can give. They're not my Jesus, and I'm not theirs. Only Jesus is our Jesus. So what are we looking to to give us true joy? Another question is, how are we experiencing, how are we viewing the struggles, the trials, the breaking, the pressing, the stirring that we're going through? Are we like the, the cookie dough that like last night when I was mixing it up where it's like, bloop, hops out of the bowl onto <laughs> the floor? I didn't, that's not in that cookie. I threw that away. Um, but do we run out of those situations? Do we, do we say, oh, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be tested. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, experience that. Nobody wants to be in the middle of hardships. Nobody likes to feel alone. Nobody feels like there. Nobody wants to feel like I'm the only one who deals with. Nobody, nobody wants to experience betrayal or, or, or any of that, right? Whatever the Spirit wants you to fill into that blank right now, nobody wants to experience that. But yet, God can use that. God can use that to transform us and to reveal what true joy is. Can we trust him with that process? This morning in the devotional, um, I, was, I was amazed. It was just so good. It said, the depth of joy cannot be separated from the accompanying struggle because it is the struggle, the work that God did to offer us wholeness that makes joy all the more beautiful. The Lord says that the struggle we face, the struggles we face are like birth pains of a woman giving birth. But he promises, I did not say that, by the way. This was from the devotional, so all you moms out there don't say, you do not know the pain of childbirth, okay? I didn't say that. He's saying, it was maybe a she. It was maybe a she that wrote that. I don't know. I'll take, I'll take their word for it, right? But the struggles, the pain, as, as viewing that as childbirth is so, he says, but he promises that when the time of labor has passed, nothing will compare to the joy of wholeness of being together with God. Can we view the struggles that we have as birth pains? Because there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a purpose. There is intentionality. It's not let's give up. It's let's get through this because I want to experience what's on the other end of this thing. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be smart. We need to have boundaries. Sometimes there's things where we need to run the other way from, right? 
But even in that process of things that we might need to just hard stop, get out of our life, everything like that, even in that process, we're being squeezed and we can, we can understand what, what God wants to do in and through us. Another question is this, how are we allowing our God-given joy to be stolen? When I was in college, I had a group of guys that I met with every week for accountability, and we had a list of questions that we went through every week. And one of the, one of the questions was this, have I allowed my God-given joy to be stolen this week in any way? That's a weird question for a, for a handful of college guys to get together and talk about, but it, it got my mind to think of, God gave me joy. Am I giving that away? Am I allowing it to be trampled on? Am I allowing it to be hijacked? Am I allowing it to be destroyed? Think about the difference that it could make in our lives, in our marriages, in our, in our parenting, um, in our being, being a son or a daughter with our parents, our friendships, our work, our sports, our clubs, whatever it might be. Can you imagine the difference if we were truly joyful and instead of coming in with demands or critiques or, or expectations and, and, and just, I mean, just all that, if we can come in being full of joy, the difference that it would make in all areas of our lives. It would be so much different, right? It's no surprise that Satan wants to steal our God-given joy because it's like taking fuel out of the gas tank, <laughs> right? If, if, we don't, if we're not joyful, if, if you ever see me losing my joy as, as a pastor, you better call me out on it. Now, I'm not saying I'm always going to be happy because I'm a grumpy pants, right? Like, don't ask Nicole. She will not give you examples of me being grumpy, specifically yesterday, right? <laughs> like, like, I'm not saying I'm always going to be happy, but if, if you see my joy being taken away and you see me going through the motions just because of expectations or, or whatever it might be, call me out on it because that's not, what, that's not what we're supposed to do. Same thing with all of us, right? Like, we should be filled with joy as we worship, as we study, as we serve, as we lead, as we, as we do community together. Because when joy is stolen from us, we're crippled and we're ineffective. So then the last question is this, how can we focus on the goodness of God? How can we focus on that glory of Jesus? How can we focus on the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us? Because when we surrender our lives to him, he becomes our Lord. He becomes our Savior. He becomes our Father. He becomes our, our power. He, he gives us this new identity, and we're victorious because of that. You see, a lot of times we feel like we're on the losing team, on the losing side. We're the loser, and so there's no joy because we're just going to be afraid. Instead, he says, no, I have, I have given you a new identity. I've, I've made you whole. I've made you new. Now let me walk you through the sanctification process of helping you understand that and live that through your life. Are we allowing Jesus to work in us to bring true, unshakable, lasting joy? So, moving from belief to action, knowing to doing, one, one thing this week, okay? Identify one area that we're feeling pressed, squeezed, tested, experimented on this week, right? Identify one area that we are struggling with right now. And then talk to God about, God, is this an ingredient? 
is this an ingredient that is actually going to be mixed and stirred and blended into the larger story of what you're doing in my life, and you're going to bring something good out the other end of it? Can we do that this week? Just talk to God. Some of you already know what he's going to say because it's, it was on your mind already this morning. Some of us might later on, maybe as we're worshiping or as we're heading home or as we're just you know, doing whatever this afternoon, I just pray that we can identify one thing and say, okay, God, I surrender this to you. I trust you with this. This is a process. You are sovereign. You are the Lord. I am turning this over to you. God, please help me find joy in the midst of this struggle. So the last thing is, is this. I, I actually had grand aspirations. Um, you see, these, these, this cookie recipe is very dear to me because it's what I grew up eating that my mom would always make. And they are hands down the best cookies, in my humble opinion. As you can tell, I know a thing or two about cookies, right? So, so I know things about cookies, and, and I was like, I am going to bless Greenhouse Community Church with a whole bunch of cookies. And so I made a double recipe, and as I'm mixing it, I was like, this is going to be amazing. And so like last night after the Christmas party, I went home, fired up the oven at 375, and I took the cookie dough, and I started dishing it out. And I was like, what's happening they're all going flat. These are cookie flakes. These are not cookies. They're not doughy and raised and, and all this kind of stuff like that. Like, this is, my example is ruined, right? Like, this is not going to work. And worst thing is, I couldn't share it with you because they're an embarrassment. Nicole literally came in. She, God gave me her to keep me humble. <laughs> Those don't look like your mom. So it's like, well, thanks. You're not going to get, what are these? She starts razzing me, right? Like, I'm being tested. I'm being, finding joy through this struggle right now, right? So, I forgot one thing. I didn't forget, I chose. Wheat germ. Now, I should have consulted with, with Emily back there because she is a resident baking expert. But wheat germ is the heart of the wheat kernel that basically gets ground up and it adds volume. It makes it fluffy. It makes it volume. It keeps it from like just sagging. What was happening? Nicole literally pointed at one of the cookies that's like sagging through the, 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 the cooling rack. It literally, I'm watching. I'm like, no. <laughs> they... And they don't even have the real taste, though. I mean, they're good, but, but they're not the same. But here's the thing. A lot of times we think Christianity, our faith, our relationship with Jesus is a cafeteria plan. I'm going to choose this, but I don't want that. I'll take this. I don't want that. I chose to make, because wheat germ, even what is wheat germ, right? I'm a Nebraska guy. It's all about corn. If you would have put corn in there, then yeah, I would have done it, right? <laughs> wheat, you know, what am I from Kansas, like Drew, come on, you know, so, sorry, Midwestern humor, um, but I was kind of like, in, in, my, in my own selfishness, I limited what it could have been, yeah, this is awesome, this is awesome, and I probably could have come, but it was, it was a little embarrassing, right, like, <laughs> but it could have been so much better if I would have just followed the instructions completely, so, how can we learn from that? Trust God. Trust God. Rely on his spirit. 
dig into his word, fill our minds, fill our hearts, fill our, fill our lives with his truth. And when we think, I don't want that, ask God, are you wanting that? So, sorry, maybe next time I'll have my mom send a batch or something like that because they are divine. So, all right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your sovereignty, for your goodness, for the fact that, God, yes, there are times where we are tested, we experience struggles, we have hard things that go on in our lives, but God, we know that we are never alone. We are never beyond your control. We are never beyond your your love, your, your power, your grace. Um, God, even, even when we don't know how to take our next breath, God, you love us. You are right there with us. God, I pray that whoever needs encouragement this morning, God, we would find encouragement in you. God, if any of us needs challenge to get motivated, to just stop settling, to stop looking to other things, stop doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. God, help us to turn to you until we finally experience the fullness of your joy. God, I thank you for each one who are here this morning, who are watching online or who are watching or listening later on, God. I pray that you would just speak into our hearts to show us the ingredients. We might not like them individually, but God, on the other end, when the process is finished, God, we can rejoice and we can say thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are so much smarter than me. God, you are eternal. You're all-knowing. And we can trust you. God, no matter what comes our way, God, we can experience joy. God, I know that this season is hard for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But God, I pray in the midst of that, we'd see the light of your glory and that we would find joy from it. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.